0: Hey, my name is Dustin and this is my wife, Mandy. And we wanna say thank you for checking out today's message at Citizen Church. Yeah, so whether you're in your car or at work, wherever you might be today, it is our hope and prayer that you leave encouraged and equipped in your daily life. So here's the message. This whole series, the seven dimensions of discipleship is about us becoming disciples. We look around in the world at all of the problems and we know um, our best shot at this is the power of God and then what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. And he's called us to not just be followers, to not just be believers, but to be disciples and at the same time make disciples and he told us this in the Great Commission, which I talked about last week when the topic was mission. In Matthew 28, 19, he says to disciples, therefore go and make disciples. That was his call and that was his commission. And with that word disciple, the, the definition that we've been working with in this series is this. Someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus and committed to the mission of Jesus, which is disciple. Making, which is disciple making. So let me, let me ask you this to start off today. How many of you guys have ever driven your car when it was out of alignment? Ever, when it was out of alignment. So this summer we had an issue with one of our cars and it was out of alignment. And I, I hated it, but it's always so annoying because we, we had the car in the shop and it came out of the shop out of alignment. And I didn't want to have to make another appointment to go back and to rearrange the schedule. So, you know, you just put things off and you shouldn't. And I found out that when a vehicle is out of alignment, it's not just bad for you, the driver, and annoying. It's really bad for the car. I'm a pastor. I'm not a mechanic, and I'm not a car guy. So I found out it's really bad for the car. How is it bad for the car? It's really bad for tire wear. I mean, a lot of unnecessary wear and tear. It's it's bad for control. The car can easily get out of control. It's bad on fuel economy. And it's also just bad for overall safety in the vehicle. And when I was thinking about car being out of alignment, when a person is also out of alignment from God's word and his will, it's the exact same thing as a car. Because all of a sudden, when we're not in alignment with the Bible, the word of God, there's unnecessary wear and tear in our lives. It feels like our life is just not easily controlled. We find ourselves veering off in seasons and times and, and we don't know what's going on. Overall safety of our lives plummets and also it's bad on spiritual fuel economy because the Word of God is the fuel for our soul and our spirit. We need to be aligned with the Bible, the Word of God, and we're finishing the series today talking about the spiritual discipline or dimension the Bible the Word of God. I titled my message today, The Authority and Power of God's Word. The Authority and Power of God's Word. So in today's message, we're also ending the message today, kind of just like we did with the Holy Spirit Week uh, with a Zoom call interview that I think you guys are going to love today. But when we think about the power of the, of the Word of God, today's message is not convincing you of the validity of Scripture. It's not building a case of why you should believe the Bible based on facts I have a sermon on that. It's on our resource page, citizen.church slash seven, the number seven, and you can go. There's a 45-minute message there for you. Today, I am speaking primarily to believers who believe that this is the word of God, but they found their lives right now feeling like a car out of alignment. We have to understand that this is the power and also has the authority to bring us into alignment with God because it is his word. There's some interesting facts about the Bible I want to jump in with today. The Bible is not one book. It's the compilation of 66 books, Old and New Testaments. There are 40 human authors inspired by the Holy Spirit that span 1500 years and were written in three different continents. The Bible also was written in three original languages, Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, There's so many amazing things about the Bible, and believe me, I wanted to dive in to all of the validity stuff. I'm passionate about it, but today is about discipleship, going deeper in what the Word of God really is. What does the Bible say about itself? Second Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Many people, if we're not disciplined in this, even if you acknowledge the Bible to be true, we approach the Bible as truth that should line up according to what I already believe. But that is not the nature of truth. We and our beliefs have to line up with truth. The Bible will step on our toes and this passage literally tells us the point of it is to tell us what is true, to tell us when we're doing right, and to tell us when we're doing wrong. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and powerful and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Do you guys believe that today, that the Bible is alive and it's powerful? Three of you, great. So the word of God becomes alive and powerful though. It becomes alive and powerful when we respond in a few ways. So quickly today, let's go through these four quick ways. The first is this: it becomes alive and powerful when we hear it or read it. Romans 10:17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The first step is so simple, but we've got to put ourselves into environments where we can hear or read the word of God, or we have to create the environments where we hear or read the word of God. Those environments are things like faithful church attendance to where we can hear it, getting our kids into youth ministry and kids ministry, getting into a small group, increasing the intensity and the discipline of hearing the word of God Wrestling with it, but also creating environments on our own in our everyday lives, everywhere we go, where the Bible moves from a book that we read to something that is alive and powerful in us. But we have to take this first step of discipline to get ourselves in environments or create the environments to where we can read or hear it. So, number one is, we got to respond with hearing and reading. Number two, we have to receive it we have to receive the word of god if we want this to be alive and powerful we have to receive it 1st Thessalonians 2:13 says for this reason we thank god without ceasing because when you received the word of god which you heard from us you received it as the word of uh, not as the word of men but as it truly is the word of god which effectively works also in you who believe you've probably heard the statement, seeing is believing, right? Seeing is believing. But when it comes to the word of God, it's not seeing is believing. It's receiving is believing. Receiving is believing. When we receive the word of God, what we're doing is we are beginning to yield to it as such, because it's not just taking in information with hearing it, We've got to go beyond what's in our brain, go beyond just the mechanics of hearing or reading and move to a level of openness to where we receive it, not as just mere knowledge, information, or education, but as the wisdom of God that can transform our lives. The point of learning the Bible is not to just be educated in the Bible. That's not the point. Because the truth is you can have an education And still be a fool. You can. The point of it is not just for education. The point of it is for wisdom. Wisdom. I obviously love education. I think you should have an education. So teenagers, stop looking at your parents. Like the pastor said, you know, you need an education. But an education does not make you wise. There are educated fools all over the world. All you have to do is turn on the news and look what's happening in universities right now in regards to what's happening in the Middle East. There are educated fools everywhere. We can know everything we want to know about all the information in this world, but if something doesn't enter into our lives that transcends human knowledge, such as the wisdom of God, then we are nothing. We are nothing compared. Our lives are nothing compared to what they could be until we understand I'm meant to receive the wisdom of God and live out the wisdom of God, not the knowledge or education of man. Do you guys believe that today? And here's the truth. Most of the trouble, division, and chaos in the world is caused by educated fools. Theodore Roosevelt said this, an educated man may steal a rail car, but if you educate that same man, an uneducated man may steal a rail car, but if you educate that same man, he may steal the entire railroad. Because it's the same man with education. But the word of God, when it moves from information to the wisdom of God, we are no longer the same man. We're no longer the same woman. Now our world is opened up to the ways of God and we can live out the ways and will that he wants us to live out. Number three is this. How do we experience the Bible as alive and powerful? We have to move into the realm of obeying it. We've got to obey it. So it's not just hearing it. It's not just receiving it. I mean, we've got to obey it. The, the power of this is nothing for your life if it sits on a bookshelf and you're able to say you have a Bible at home. It's not meant to be a coffee table thing for when your Christian friends come over. It's not meant to be an ornament in our house. The power of this happens when we hear it, receive it, and obey it. James 1, and 25 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his what doing, not in hearing doing. There's a call to actually take up the mantle of what God says and begin to walk this out in a posture of submissiveness toward the word of God, humility toward the word of God and obey it. I I love one of my favorite stories in scripture is the moment when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. It's reached the pinnacle of the story really right before the crucifixion and and arrest of Jesus. Jesus. Right before he's betrayed by Judas, Jesus is in the garden and he's praying. And what's so amazing about this story is in this moment, you see his humanity and his divinity on full display. Jesus is both God and man. And in this moment of humanity, Jesus actually looks to God the Father, knowing and feeling the weight of all of our sin as it begins to crawl up his back and the weight on his shoulders as he's about to go to the cross, the humanity side of him is being crushed. But the humanity side of him has to come under the will of God. And he goes to God in Matthew 26, God the Father in verse 39. And he says, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. That's his humanity. But then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. A couple of verses later in the same story, Jesus is talking to the disciples in verse 41, and he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our lives growing as disciples in our lives comes down to this, narrowing the gap between willing and weak, narrowing the gap between spirit And flesh, because if you're like me, that statement Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the anthem of our lives. Because if you're a believer today, you woke up wanting to do what God wants for your life. The spirit is willing, but that flesh, that's awful. And it's just not willing. But when we understand the will of God, the word of God, the gap between those two begins to narrow as we start saying out of our mouth and yielding with the posture of our lives, I want this in my flesh, but nevertheless, God, not my will, but your will, your word be done in my life. And the more we put the flesh into submission by the truth of the word of God, that gap begins to narrow and now flesh has to submit to spirit And only on the other side of that, and we see it in Jesus's life as he goes to the cross and the ultimate purpose of why he came, everything was on the other side of, weak has to submit to willing. And we only can do that through the power of the word of God, knowing the word of God and obeying the word of God in our lives. And number four is this, the word of God becomes alive and powerful when we wield it. We have to wield it. Ephesians 6, 17 says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit. Our kids in kids' ministry today, my daughter came up to me after the first service and said, Dad, guess what we're doing in church today? I was like, What? She said, Sword drills. Did you know the Bible is the sword of the Spirit? And I was like, I do. I'm telling the adults that today too. So I'm glad we're on the same page. It's the sword of the Spirit. Of all the pieces of armor listed in Ephesians, the sword is the only offensive weapon. This is the weapon that we go at the enemy with. When the enemy is tempting us, attacking us, all the armor is there. But then God says, take this up. You want to know why? Because Satan has no authority and no response to the word of God. When God speaks, Satan can't respond to it. He loses his power because of it. You don't believe me? Let's look at Matthew chapter four. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted right out of the baptism. He's fasting for 40 days. And at the end of 40 days, the Satan comes to Jesus and he begins to tempt him three times. He comes to him the first time and tries to offer him all of these things. And you know what Jesus says? One phrase keeps coming out of his mouth: "It is written." And then he quotes a scripture. Satan drops the subject because he has nothing else to say in regards to that specific temptation. So what does he have to do? Moves to another temptation. Jesus looks at him and says, "It is written." There's no response from Satan. There's no answer from Satan because this is the final word. One more, he comes and Jesus says, it is written. And then he says, away from me, Satan. And Satan has no response. He has no answer because the word of God is more powerful than any word of the enemy. And some of us are waiting on our purpose. We're waiting on our destiny. We're waiting on fulfillment in our lives. And I think for some of us, it's on the other side of conquering the temptation that has bound us for years or months or decades. And what God is telling us is all we have to do is look at Satan and say, Satan, give me your best but my response will be, it is written. That's it. (laughs) Satan has no response and no answer for it because the Bible is alive and powerful in our lives. So today we're gonna watch the remaining time, a Zoom interview I did with one of my great friends in ministry. You guys are, are all very familiar with him. If you've been to our church for longer than a year, his name is Manny Arango. Manny has preached um, at our rally conference the last two years. He's not this year, but we're still, we're working on him to come next summer. But he is a scholar. He's in a doctoral program, one of the greatest young biblical minds I know. I bounce doctrinal things off of him. We talk theology all the time and I love his perspective and I know you will enjoy this video. Let's take a look. Well, hey, Citizen Church, we are... um... Finishing our series today, seven dimensions of discipleship, and we have a surprise today. Um, it, it is a he is a citizen church favorite, but Manny Arango has given us time today um, to talk about the topic today, which is the Bible, uh, the Word of God. And Manny, um, you have the last two years you've preached at our rally conference. I um, think yeah. I think our, our churches might be mad at me this year because you're not doing this year, but we're we're going to have you out in 2024. But man, the way you love the Bible the way you preach the word. Um, I've been able to be around you in non-preaching settings. And um, I, I just, I love the Bible and it is just so refreshing to be around people that I feel like even love it more than me. And um, I, I just, I know that you live what you preach. You believe what you preach. And I just want to chat for a few minutes about the word of God, the Bible and and how it's impacted yeah. your life. So um, thank yeah. you. Thank you for jumping on.
1: Dude, thank you for having me. And uh, I love you and I love your church. And and I'm mad that I'm not at rally, but we'll make it happen. <laughs> um, um, man, yeah, I, I, we can dive right in. I, I mean, the, I kind of have a thought that I that I would love to lead with. Lead it, um, unless you want to do a question first. But I've definitely got like a thought that I think can help yep. everybody um, at Citizen Church um, to maybe reframe why when people say they love the bible like what does that actually mean uh because sometimes that you know i've been around people who are like man i didn't even go to college like i don't even like to read like <laughs> let alone read the bible you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i'm not a reader i'm not someone who's academically inclined like that's just not my vibe That's not my personality and um i i want to kind of tell you this like so uh, we, I don't know, me and my wife were like in TJ Maxx or Marshall somewhere. And there was this book that was kind of like uh, templates to write letters to your to your kid. And so I picked it up. Like my wife was pregnant at the time and I grabbed this book. And I remember the first speaking engagement I ever went on, once my son was born, I like actually went through and started like writing letters to my son. My son now is two years old in three months. And, you know, one day, My, you know, I've got, you know, my son's Bible is over here. I've got postcards that I've sent my son from speaking engagements. I've got this book that I've written, you know, letters to my son. If some, if my son said, man, I just really love this book of like, you know, I I love this book. You know, he's not saying he loves reading. He's not saying he just loves the idea of sitting down and like studying. What he's saying is he loves the relationship that me and him have, and he loves me. And the mm-hmm. thing that makes the Bible unique is that it is, it is the only book that the goal is not actually to love it. The goal is to get to know the author. And yep. um, I kind of want to like personalize or repersonalize Bible study. Because sometimes we can get lost in the, well, in Greek, this means this. And in Hebrew, this means this. And and maybe somebody feels overwhelmed or I don't know if I can keep up with Greek and Hebrew and exegesis and all the big right. words that we throw out sometimes when we think about studying the Bible. Uh, but the reality is that love longs to communicate. And, and mm-hmm. the reason that we have a Bible, the reason that... Um, over the span of thousands of years, God would inspire about 40 or so different authors to, 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 to be inspired by the Holy Spirit and to write things down is because God is love and love longs to communicate and God longs to communicate with you, with us, with his people. And so by saying we love the word, by saying we love the Bible, what we're really saying is we love the, the father's voice we love mm-hmm. to hear from god and i know a lot of christians who they want to hear the spoken word of god but they don't have reverence for the written word of god and i would tell you um that as an author right so so I, I, it's funny because i didn't have this respect before i was an author but now i've published a book and I've, i'm under contract pastor dustin for my second oh, book. oh yeah. Um, I'm I'm super excited, right? And and it's funny it's because awesome. I got this advice. I got this advice from my youth pastor when I first started traveling and preaching. When I first started traveling and preaching, my youth pastor said, "Hey, if you if you get in a speaking invitation to go somewhere and the senior pastor has written a book, make sure you read their book before you get to their church." Because the level of questions you'll be able to ask will always be way more specific and way more intelligent and way more informed if you've read their book first. There's nothing more offensive or aggravating to an author than asking them questions that they've already provided the answers to in their book. And and so I didn't really, I I took his advice and that that small piece of advice opened so many doors for me. There are so many pastors that were shocked that I'd read their book. And uh, immediately there's favor with the author because I'm, instead of just saying, hey, you know, what do you think about faith? I'm saying, hey, on page 84 of, of Sun Stand Still, you know, you said this, and I have a specific question based on what you said. What I'm able to now get from that person is astronomically better, richer, deeper than what I would have gotten if I had just asked a generic question without reading what they've already written. I think sometimes we're praying about things and God is like, ah, you'd be able to have such a better conversation with me if you would just like dig into the Psalms or like get into Matthew or like dig into Exodus. Like you would be able to wrestle with me in prayer around things that I've already said. What I what I wrote in my word would be a jumping off point. For now, you're not just praying about your feelings or venting or you're not just praying about things you're frustrated about. You're standing on promises. So when me and my wife are struggling with infertility, man, my my prayer life, was, Lord, you said in your word, be fruitful and multiply. So you can't Mm -hmm. give me a command that you don't just then, that you can't, you can't give me a command that you don't give me the grace to to obey. So, So you're gonna have to give me supernatural revelation to understand what I'm reading in your word. And now there's this symbiotic relationship that happens between my prayer life when I begin to speak God's language And God's Mm -hmm. language is found throughout his word. So I'm not studying so that I can argue with people in the comment section. I'm not reading my Bible so that I can be full of pride. I'm not reading my Bible because I'm naturally a nerd or I'm academic. I'm reading the Bible so that I can get to know God and so that I can actually relate to him better.
0: Another thing you said in your podcast, and one of the things you said made me think of it. I like this too. A lot of people... When they're newer to reading the Bible, newer to church, or, you know, if we're, we're in this series right now and, and people are wanting to grow in their discipleship, they have this tendency to believe that the Bible is a book that points people only how to get to heaven. And we think eternal life starts once we die. And yeah. you had mentioned the podcast and I love it. It's just amazing theology. The Bible doesn't just point how to get somewhere. It, it's also a book that reveals that God wants the best for your life now. And he's, we're, we're,
1: we're living in eternity now. Right? Yeah. So let me quote, let me quote that mission's professor again. His name is Paul Borthwick. He is the man. I mean, he marked my life. Okay. Uh, the four years that I spent at Gordon college, Paul, uncle Paul is what I called him. He really marked my life. <laughs> um, he spent tons of time on the mission's field. Obviously he was a mission's professor at, at our school. And he said, Hey, if, He, you know, he spent so many years in developing countries or as some people call them, third world countries, um, that, you know, had a lack of infrastructure or no in Mm -hmm. indoor plumbing or, um, and he said, Hey, if, if you would just take the book of Leviticus, okay, and, and apply it in a, in a developing nation or third world country, we would reduce all disease by like 80 to 85%. Because God cares about your life. He cares about life. He's the author of life. And whether or not people make the ultimate decision that that they are going to walk with God for eternity, even if, okay, even if, even if you die and you realize it was all a sham, even if we're all wrong, let's say every single Christian's wrong, I will get to the end. Let's say I die and, you know, whatever. It, Allah was really the right choice or, or whatever, you know. It's, trust me, this is a hypothetical. Let, let's just say, you know, let's just say I'm wrong. Uh, my, one of my Bible teachers' his name is Marvin Wilson back in Ed Gordon used to say this. Let's say we're wrong. Let's say every Christian's wrong. It's like, And he was in his 80s, so he was closer to this reality than me right now in my 30s. He he said, uh, I'd have no regrets because living a biblical life, it made me a good dad. It made me a good husband. It made me a good business owner. It made me a good leader. It made me a good community leader. It, It filled my life with integrity. Like following the Bible leads to life. It just leads to life. It does. Now, it does. we hope that it leads to abundant life and eternal life. We hope that it does both. And we know that it's going to lead to eternal life. I, I know that, like, I, that's the hope that's the anchor to my soul. However, man, reading the word of God and 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 consuming the word of God and conforming my life to God's word, has made me kind. It's made me compassionate. It's made me wise. You know, I grew up in abject poverty. You know, my mom was pregnant at the age of 12. My dad was incarcerated for 18 years, took me to a crack house at five. So I can genuinely say this, like not as a judgmental thing, just as something from experience, that poverty is a curse, man. Poverty is a mindset. And I remember the first time I read the Bible through, it was the first time that I realized, oh my God, there God wants us to like create wealth and have purpose and like have mm-hmm. dignity. And like the, the the word of God and the spirit of God restores human dignity. And that this is practical. Like stuff about like, if you don't work, you don't eat. And like, like I, like this is just sure. very, very practical. Like the word of God has wisdom. And um, it, and sometimes I think here's a temptation in, a, in the Western world is to compartmentalize my life. So I've got my spiritual mm-hmm. life over here mm-hmm. and I've got my work life over here and I got my family life over here and we compartmentalize life. Well, you know, spoiler alert, God does not compartmentalize life. So God doesn't compartmentalize your spiritual life from your family life, from your church life, from your work life. The word of God is for your life, your whole life, Monday through, through, through Sunday. Like It's for your whole life. And God actually wants to give you wisdom to begin to integrate your life so that it's not like you're juggling all these hats. You can be the same person, the same wisdom you bring to church or your family, the same wisdom you bring to the workplace. It's the same wisdom that you bring everywhere. Um, And I think that God's word, you know, it's eternal in that it's heaven's revelation, but it's also eternal in that it has value here on the earth. And, and the word of God has so much wisdom. If it wasn't for God's word, I'll, I'll, I don't know if you have another question, but I'll kind of, I'd love to tell the story because I think, yeah, this was like no, go for it. The clincher that really helped me and motivated me, you know, like to, to, to set aside time to really study God's word. So I remember I was maybe 19, 20, and I was at a staff meeting with our our senior pastor, and he began to share about how he read the book of Matthew five times and then moved on to Mark and then read Mark five times and then moved on to you know Luke and Luke and then did that for the whole New Testament. And I remember being like 20 21 years old and, and I was just so inspired. So that next year I found a program with YWAM Youth with a Mission that allowed me to read the Bible five times in 9 months. And so I I moved to United Kingdom. I moved to the middle of nowhere England and I read the Bible five times in 9 months. Well, you know, I'm a young adult guy. Okay, I'm 21. I think maybe the oldest I could have been was 22 at the time. And pornography had been a continued issue for me, you know, in my college years. And so I remember, like, genuinely praying, like, Lord, like, I tried everything, like, account- being accountable to people and and all types of stuff, right? That every young Christian guy tries. And now in 2023, numbers, statistics are telling us it's men and women. So, Not just Mm -hmm. guys that have pornography as an issue. Well, of course, I kept focusing on what to not do. Just don't watch pornography. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And of course, every time you think about what to not do, you end up doing it because it's almost like saying don't think about a pink elephant. It's inevitable that you're going (laughs) to think about a pink elephant. So, man, I moved to the United Kingdom and I start reading the Bible. And I start going. It takes me nine months to read the Bible five full times. And I remember like two months going by and I had March pornography and then three months and then four months and then five months. And I remember six months going by and I, oh my God, I haven't, I have access to the internet. I've got, I've got a laptop and, in, in, you know, I've got all the same things that were tripping me up in college. But it's almost like as I begin to consume God's word, it's almost like that appetite. That The spiritual stronghold of that appetite for lust and pornography just began to supernaturally break. And I remember coming back wow. and, and hanging out with my friends and my, my best friend, Reese saying, what was, what was your highlight? You lived, in, you lived in England for nine months. You read the Bible five times. What did you learn? Like, what did you learn up here? And I remember saying, man, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched pornography and, and I can't remember the last time. I said, I don't know. I can't tell you what I learned up here. I'm sure that there are lots of things I learned up here. But I said my spirit to the point wow. that the tug of war that was happening between my flesh and my spirit, I finally, instead of just trying to make my flesh go away, which is never going to happen because I'm human, I finally mm-hmm. just got my spirit strong enough to win this tug of war. Because even when your mind doesn't understand what you're reading – When I hold my Bible, and let's say I don't really understand what Ezekiel is talking about, even though I don't understand it in here, my spirit is growing as I begin to read the word. And if I continue on a daily diet of God's word, what you find is that sin will either keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. It is just that practical that As long as I was focused on what not to do, I could never actually do the thing I wanted to not do. But the moment I just focused on what I'm going to do, I'm just going to stick my head in the scriptures and I'm going to read, I'm going to consume, I'm going to eat the scroll and I'm going to do it every day. It's almost like by default, like indirectly, I began to not struggle in the same way. It, and wow. and and of course, accountability is amazing. I would. I don't think there's just one fix for any sinful habit. Um, but man, there's something about getting into the scriptures that transforms you at a spiritual level. And sometimes, especially in the West, we're so rational that if I don't mm-hmm. understand it, I'm now I don't want to do it. And. If I don't understand it, I'm discouraged. And I would say if you're going to read God's word and take his word seriously, there will always be things you don't understand. I'm in the middle of getting my doctorate, and there are still things I don't understand. But actually, the beauty of it is that we never get to the place where we understand everything, but it's clear that the word of God is not just a book, that it's alive, that it's active. alive. I was going to say that. And when we get it into our spirit, um, man, it does things within us. It builds our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It, it begins to change us from the inside out. And, um, oh, man, oh, I would good. encourage anyone who's who's watching to to whatever excuses you have for not being disciplined in this area, I promise you that the benefits of being disciplined when it comes to reading the word of God will far outweigh whatever excuse is kind of holding you back or whatever obstacles in your way right now.
0: Perfect. Well, Manny, um, thank you for giving us time. And uh, it means so, so, so much to us. And I would love for you just to, to end uh, this today, this conversation, just praying over our
1: church, just for our heart, for the word of God. And, and uh, would you do that for us? God, I thank you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Albuquerque, New Mexico. God, I thank you for this incredible church. God, I ask that uh, everyone who, who's listening to this prayer right now, receiving this prayer right now, would you put a supernatural hunger and thirst um, in them for the for your word? God, for anyone in the room who's insecure, God, I ask that as they begin to read your word that you would begin to instill identity in them, that they wouldn't get that from a sermon or a preacher, that they would get that from you, that as they read the word of God that you would begin to speak identity to them. God, I ask if there's anyone struggling right now with fear or anxiety. God, I ask that courage and peace would get downloaded to their spirit as they begin to read your word on a daily basis. God, I also ask that as we Decide to follow you as disciples. That we cannot be disciples without discipline. So if there's anyone who just the lie of the enemy is in their head telling them, you're not disciplined. You make, you make New Year's resolutions every year and you don't stick to it. We uproot that lie from the enemy right now and we declare that they're going to walk into the most disciplined season of their life. That God, if they weren't able to be disciplined with other things, that this would be the discipline that unlocks every other discipline in their life. God, I thank you. I thank you um, that a year from now, they will barely be able to recognize themselves. God, we ask mm-hmm. that this wouldn't be legalistic in any way, that there wouldn't be anything about this that is um, desiring to be seen or desiring accolades or trying to achieve anything uh, achieve salvation. No, God, I ask that you would give us a, a, a measure of grace to simply be disciplined in this area of our life. God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak clearly as every single person begins to go on a journey to get to know the word of God better and ultimately to get to know you better. I pray for Citizen Church. I pray for this uh, this family of believers. And God, I ask that you would do signs, miracles, and wonders as we decide to be more disciplined and follow you closely. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Manny. Man, did you guys enjoy that? It's awesome. Wait, I want to end the the message today with going through our practical next steps. So if I could ask you just to, to hang around just for five more minutes. I think this is might be the most important part of all of these messages because we can come in and hear a lot of things but what does it mean what do we what do we do next I want to show you some statistics really quick from the Center for Biblical Engagement from 2017 when the Bible is read just pay attention to this four times a week that's it when the bible is read four times per week feelings of loneliness drop by 30% anger issues drop by 32% relationship problems drop by 40% Alcoholism drops by 57%. Feeling spiritually bored drops by 57%. Viewing porn drops by 61%. And sharing your faith jumps by 200%. Just from reading the Bible, four times a week. Can you imagine what it would look like setting aside time every single day? The power that we need and want in our lives is going to come from taking in, receiving, and operating in the power of the Word of God. So what are some next steps today? For some of us, your first step could be be getting a Bible. Some of you, you don't have a Bible, you don't own one. Or you might own one, but the version, the translation, is not written in a way that you can jive with. Maybe your cup of tea isn't the King James Version, and that's what you have. Maybe your first step today could be simply getting a Bible. I know there's apps, free apps with Bible, get them. I think it's amazing. But there's nothing like just having a Bible to open up and study. So who who in here today, this is one of my favorite um, study Bibles. It's the Life Application Study Bible. Who in here today either doesn't have a Bible or does not have one that you are jumping up and down about studying or reading because of the version or maybe the age of the Bible? Anybody? Anybody want one of these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chloe's going to help me and she's going to hand this out to one of you guys holding up your hands. Give Chloe a round of applause for helping me with that. Also, so some of you, it could be your first step getting a Bible, but others of you, your, your next step could be, could be studying the Bible. It needs to be. For those of you that own one, don't let it sit on a coffee table. Don't let it, don't let it collect dust on a shelf. Study it. I know that's intimidating. Manny talked about it being intimidating and it's intimidating until it isn't. And you've got to have the discipline to start somewhere. And, and there's so many amazing apps. And we have a lot of these apps on our resource site. Again, citizen.church slash the number seven. Okay? A lot of app recommendations. Also, um, just some good old-fashioned books are great too. I love study companions, and I've got a couple of study companion books today. One of them is called The Essence: A Guided Journey of Discovering Through the uh, Discovery Through the Bible. And I love this one, how not to read the Bible, and it hits a little bit more of hot topics. Chloe's going to hand these out to somebody raising their hand if you guys want one of those. Um, Also, some of you, your next step could be, if you're a Christian family, figuring out a way to help your kids get the Word of God in their spirit, okay? Our kids team also, I'm going to refer to this resource site a lot, our kids team worked with me this week and found three or four of the best possible tools and resources through apps. They're on that site, citizen.church slash seven. But guys, your next step for some of you could be getting your family together and getting a plan. How are you going to lead your home and instructing your children? It is great that they're in kids ministry right now. They are being fed right now, but once a week for for 40 or 30 minute teaching is not going to cut it in this world. We've got to get the Word of God in their spirit. So some of you, it's getting a game plan with your children. And for all of us, I think it's always a good next step to get into a Bible study. When our new small group semester starts, jump into a small group where the Bible's being studied. Jump into Alpha. Jump into one of our discipleship groups. And I'm telling you, we need to increase the frequency of getting into environments, of hearing the Word of God. But again, creating the environments in our own home and our own lives of hearing and reading the Word of God on our own. Are you guys encouraged today? We believe the Bible is powerful, alive, and active. I want to pray over you just to seal this entire series about discipleship. I want to pray blessing over your life that we would all leave today with de- taking one more step in our discipleship journey. Father, we just thank you for today. I pray blessing over every person in this room, every family, every man, woman, child, God, I, I just pray that as this series comes to an end, that this is one of those series we cannot and will not forget. We will every day take another step closer to you, growing in these seven dimensions, growing in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of your word, the power of mission and service, God. We need you in our lives and we want to become disciples who make disciples. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch the message today. We truly hope it was impactful. Right now, wherever you are, if you're sensing the Holy Spirit leading you to receive Christ today, we wanna take the time to pray with you right now. Yes, so wherever you are, whether in your home, in your car, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Lord, I choose right now to give my heart and my life to you. Every single day, Lord, is yours from now on. I surrender to you. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, your next steps are on the screen right now. Please take the time, get connected with us, and take those critical next steps. We hope to see you back next week.